0: And good evening everyone and I extend my welcome to you all to this new series explaining Easter. There will be a number of studies over the next seven weeks or so looking at each of the key characters in the gospel accounts of the cross and the resurrection. And the purpose of these studies is that we might individually and collectively reflect on the significance of this pivotal event in history. Caiaphas was the infamous a high priest at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, a highly conflicted character who, due to his own self-interest, made counter, counterintuitive decisions as the high priest of God's chosen nation. And to get an insight into that, we're going to read, uh, firstly, in John chapter 11, and then later in Mark chapter 14. The readings will appear on the screen so you can uh, follow along and lose. If you open your Bible, you'll probably see at the top of it um, this title: "The Plot to Kill Jesus." And we jump in at verse forty-five. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in Him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief Pharisee uh, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And we'll jump over now um, to Mark chapter 14, and um, we'll break into the reading at verse 55. And probably in your Bible you will see um, another title and it says that Jesus before the council or Jesus before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And this is in basically leading up to the cross and the crucifixion. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. But some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this, t- this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest, that is Caiaphas, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Had you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But do you remain silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest Caiaphas asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And that is the reading of God's word. And we trust that he will bless it to us tonight. <clears throat> when we hear the term high priest, our minds probably immediately jumped to, to Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. And Aaron with his sons were the first anointed um, priests in the history of Israel as a nation. The high priest was a divinely appointed office. The high priest would occupy his office for the whole of his life. The high priest had a significant leadership role in the spiritual life of God's chosen people. Over time, however, particularly during the post-exile period, the high priest's role departed significantly from God's plan to more a hybrid version of both political and and religious rules At the time of Caiaphas, which was about 490 years since the last king, um, Zedekiah, of Israel had died in a Babylonian prison, or of Judah, should I say. There had been no king of, of the Jews, and the hope of anointed king and independent kingdom had waned significantly, and it led the high priest to taking on a very powerful political role. And they seemed to be ignoring the promises of the old testament that indeed a messiah would come and jesus would come as prophesied they also become notoriously corrupt each high priest was essentially the political appointment of the then occupying empire the romans they worked hand in glove with the romans for mutual benefit they presided over the ruling council the sanhedrin and they built a massive personal wealth at the expense of others This was a notable trait of the Sadducees, and indeed that's um, the sect that Caiaphas came from. Caiaphas himself was part of an elite ruling class and a member of um, the the then high priest um, dynasty, with his father-in-law Annas appointing him and many members of his family to the high priest office. But from our readings, I want to draw your attention the three particular observations. Three that we can draw some learning points from tonight. Firstly, we want to look at the corrupting effect of power and position. Secondly, the conflict of truth and treachery. And thirdly, thirdly, the cost of redemption and restoration. So let's look at the the corrupting effect of power and position. And we can draw this from uh, John's chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have the aftermath of the resurrection of Lazarus. Caiaphas convenes a council meeting of the Sanhedrin. He's becoming deeply concerned about the rising popularity of Jesus and the threat it poses. The raising of Lazarus was Jesus' final sign of the seven recorded in John's Gospel. It was perhaps the greatest and the most closely observed of all of Jesus' miracles. It was simply too powerful, too convincing, too threatening, or too unusual, and at the same time, too close to Jerusalem for it to be ignored. Either this miracle was the greatest manifestation ever seen of divine power in the local district of the temple, or it was the most deceptive act ever imagined by a clever imposter. While many saw it as a performer and believed in Jesus, others continued to fear that Jesus had tricked or deceived the people. Some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them of the things that Jesus had done. As a result, from then on, Caiaphas and the members of Zion, recognised recognized that Jesus' miracles indeed were pointing to something supernatural, and this was likely to trigger a massive following of him. This following would inevitably be interpreted as a potential rebellion and invoke a harsh response by the Roman authorities. Pilate had already executed Galileans in the temple and mingled their blood with their sacrifices. A gruesome image indeed. So Caiaphas had to act. If he was to save his position as high priest and maintain the temple and associate benefits that he enjoyed, the status, the power, the luxurious palace. He needed a definitive, fail proof plan. He needed all of the Sanhedrin on the same page. It is no wonder we read in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus met Jesus at night. They lived under the the influence and the threat of Caiaphas. We can read in chapter 11 that chilling account how Caiaphas overruled all the others as they looked at the evidence. And Unilatin you know, declared that Jesus should die. For the sake of the nation, the nation so that the current way of life his current way of life would be protected of course unwittingly we know that he made the greatest of all predictions that jesus was to die for the benefit of others and for our benefit even today but going back to caiaphas we can see that self-interest blinded him to evidential truth it shut down other viewpoints the viewpoints of his members of the Sanhedrin, and it led to outrage on unmasked evil. Is it any wonder Jesus told Pilate uh, when he stood before Pilate that he who delivered me to you has committed the greater sin? That was the sin of the nation, the sin of the Sanhedrin and the sin of Caiaphas in particular. Similarly today, <coughs> self-interest can blind us to the truth, We tend to shut down a worldview that differs from ours. And this applies equally to the Easter story. Maybe our self-interest prevents us from accepting that Jesus was who he plainly said he was. We let Caiaphas choose to ignore the evidence of the signs of Jesus' ministry, such as raising a rotting corpse from the grip of death to enjoy family life again. Lazarus was restored as if he had never been dead, and a thinking saved him for, for four days. Evidence indeed of the power of the divine. Let us move on to, to the next. Having examined just the um, the, the how that power and possession corrupts, let us look at the conflict of truth and treachery. The workings of Caiaphas' ruthless decision led Jesus to have. To move away from the immediate area of Jerusalem, so Jesus had to find a safe spot, a safe place to go with the disciples, somewhere remote, somewhere rural. Because Caiaphas' plot had already sprung into action, the spies were sent out. Chief priests and scribes were um, tasked to to challenge Jesus' teaching at every opportunity. It is becoming a difficult place for Jesus to be. The Passover was drawing nearer. And alongside of this, the expectation from the people around who have seen Jesus' miracles to date, um, have seen Lazarus been raised from the dead and heard of this, and we're now arising, arriving at Jerusalem and arriving at the temple, and they're asking the question, where is Jesus? What's he going to do now? Will he come to Jerusalem? Will he come to the temple? Will he and um, 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 confront um the, in the Jewish religious readers of the time, well, of course we know that he did. On Palm Sunday, he does appear and repa- and appears in that and um, now well-known story of riding on a coat and he is being welcomed into the into the city. He then goes to, through Jerusalem and he arrives in the temple, and we we know the story how that he cleanses the temple and chases out and um, the money changers. He takes a whip of a short whip of cords, and he chases them out. And this must have really irritated Caiaphas and the chief priests who were somewhat powerless because of the people around to do much about it. Because they, at some point, in the, when the Passover came um, close by, and Caiaphas himself would have taken and sprinkled blood around the temple to cleanse it, to cleanse it for another year. And yet Jesus was the new high priest to come, was indeed doing this with his cord of whips and driving like the money changer and saying that you have corrupted my father's house. The officers and the religious leaders continued to try and trick him in his teaching. They asked him difficult questions about paying taxes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar, they asked. What happens on the resurrection if a man remarries again? Who will his wife be in the resurrection? What is the first commandment of all? What authority do you have to do these miracles? And they listen very carefully to his responses and to try to trick him. On the Thursday of Holy Week, we see that the plot really thickens and the treachery really intensifies and there's a growing urgency to kill Jesus. And many of us are very familiar with the stories of the, the, the events in this story. Judas's betrayal, the rest, of, the rest of Jesus in Gethsemane, the questioning by Annas in his place, and then this sham trial by Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin that we've just read about, and then the blackmailing of Pilate to carry out their wishes. Let us turn just for a moment and look at the trial by Caiaphas. It in itself uh, was highly irregular. It was conducted at night. They weren't allowed to do that. It was conducted in the eve of a festival, the Passover. They weren't allowed to do that. They had insufficient time between the conviction and the sentencing. They only had a few hours. Probably their conviction was around about three in the morning, and then they sentenced him to death and they sealed the whole um, process and handed over, over to, uh, to Pilate around six uh, in the morning, a few hours later. Not to mention the lack of credible witnesses. You just read how the witnesses could not agree. He even said, Jesus said to them in another gospel, go out to the synagogues. I spoke publicly. Go out and talk to the people in those synagogues and ask them what they heard. Did I say anything controversial? Did I did I say what you said I did? And of course they didn't. And they couldn't find witnesses that agreed. And as the trial um, progressed, and as the time got closer and closer to, to, to Good Friday, and Caiaphas became more irritated and launched this vicious verbal attack on the, on the quiet forbearing Jesus. Jesus had said very little. And he challenged him and said, why are you not defending yourself? Why do you not answer these charges were brought to you? And then he says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Caiaphas wasn't meant to take on this role. He was meant to be the presiding officer over the affairs. But in his desperation um, and to convict Jesus, read uh, in, in a way that was really predetermined, no matter what the evidence was, um, he asked this question Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus declared himself as a Messiah before. He asked Peter, uh, who do you say that I am? And he said, Peter could say, you are, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." So his disciples and those who saw him and spoke to him privately had come to this conclusion that he was the Messiah. But become and make that statement publicly and um, to the Sanhedrin had not yet happened. So when Caiaphas challenged him and said, "Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed?" Jesus said, "I am." This was the first element of the answer. And it confirmed that he saw himself and he claimed himself to be the Messiah. The Messiah. However, there were many other fake messiahs that had emerged and failed in this period of evil. Um, but nevertheless, Jesus' answer was clear and unequivocal. I am. A well-understood title for God. Moses was the first person to hear, I am who I am when Moses asked, God at the burning bush, who shall I send? Who shall I say that sent me? And God answered out of that bush, say, I am sent you. What a title um, that he was. He was from everlasting to everlasting. But it was the next element of Jesus' answer that really cut to the truth um, that who he actually was. It was taken from the Psalm, Psalm 110, from Daniel 7. Verses in the Bible, passages in the Bible that um, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, would have known, and uh, that Caiaphas would have known. And he is claiming in that that he is indeed the rightful, sovereign judge of all the earth, uh, with everlasting dominion. This was the ultimate future. Reseminent murder was not the end, but rather the beginning. A new hope, a new birth, a new covenant. What a threat and a reality check to Caiaphas' self-appointed, grandiose position. And you will see how Caiaphas was rocked with these words. But for a moment before we see what happened next, I want you to think about three little words. And those three little words, he says, You will see. Jesus told Caiaphas, You will see. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. However, Caiaphas saw only a lowly carpenter from Galilee, a poor socioeconomic, from poor socioeconomic family background, a turn teacher, with only powers for miracles, and now he was claiming to be the son of God. This was absurd. It was blasphemy, unquestionably worthy only of the death penalty, and without mercy or dignity. you will see but the reality is <coughs> Caiaphas will see Jesus in the future day Caiaphas thought he was seeing the end of Jesus Caiaphas thought he was seeing the end of this troublesome person that was well liked by the people the end of a person who um, carried out miracles and that his life would continue but Jesus said to him, "You will see him himself in the future day, both sitting in part and coming in the clouds." And of course, this is a, a glimpse to, of what um, the three disciples Peter, James, and John saw in the Mount of Transfiguration, and possibly, and I <clears throat> and I suggest possibly that Caiaphas also saw at Stephen's trial and stoning and axe. Because Stephen said, "I see the Son of Man." seated at God's right hand. I'm not sure whether is saw it or not, but certainly um, Stephen made that point. The cross, what was about to happen, is not the final scene. We as Christians look forward to a day when we will see Jesus again, and everyone will see him, every eye will behold him. And we can read that in Revelation that he will be seen of everyone. Today, many across society, even at East this Easter time, seeing Jesus as Caiaphas kind of saw him, just as a carpenter, maybe in a stretch, a wholesome moral teacher, maybe one who could do, as they would say, magical miracles, but certainly not the Son of God, not the rightful sovereign judge of all the earth and the nations, not someone with whom we have got to deal with now or later. Caiaphas had a simple, binary choice. Jesus was either a dangerous imposter or the true Messiah and Son of God predicted in the Old Testament. In 2021, the choice is the same and as significant. Today, Jesus presents himself as our saviour, our friend, a forgiver of sins, a restorer of a relationship with God. But in the future, he will be and we're reminded of this this morning by Danny Crooks. He will be the righteous judge of all the earth. Hebrews 9, we can read those verses. Maybe we can ask ourselves tonight who do I see that Jesus is? Who do I think Jesus is? In my estimation, who is Jesus? Our final bit, our final little section um, is the cost of redemption and restoration. We've looked at the corrupting power of, um, of the corrupting influence of power and position. We looked at the conflict of truth and treachery, and now the cost of redemption and restoration. Let us consider the consequences of Caiaphas' self-interest scheme, his treacherous plot, and his predetermined sham and shameful trial. And the verdict to kill Jesus was finally agreed by all of the um, the Sanhedrin. You can almost see Caiaphas in mock lament and unlawfully too, ripping and tearing his clothes. He was trying to indicate that this was a terrible time. It was a terrible time, but yet in his heart he was delighted to see that Sanhedrin had all agreed to put Jesus to death. If he was wearing his official ceremonial garments, the ephod, the sash, the breastplate. All of these were representing the awesome responsibilities of his office. We're now in a Torah mess. What a tremendous picture. A tremendous picture a picture that has tremendous significance. Because now we have a high priest, Jesus. Today it is not anyone from the line the Levite Anyone from the line of Aaron, but Jesus, from a different order, not from that weak and and frail and order of man, but as the Hebrew says, is after the order of Melchizedek, a king of priests of peace, and we can read that in Genesis. But Hebrews reminds us, since we have such a great high priest, that is Jesus, who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect um, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find a grace to help in time of need. Whatever difficulties we face today, Jesus faced them and Lord. He understands and intercedes for us in a way that no ordinary man ever could or can. We have direct access to Jesus, to the throne of grace, on every occasion and every circumstance of life. And maybe we should just pause and say amen because of what Jesus has accomplished and has signified in these verses. Once Caiaphas pronounced that Jesus should die in that room, once he had torn his garments and every evil desire of the hearts of all in that upper room erupted or at least their vile the contempt for some of that I started spitting, I started to hit him, they blindfolded and mocked him and said, Prophesy who has hit who has struck you. Of course, this was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years or so earlier. And his words said, and we can almost hear them as the soundtrack to this awful scene. He had no form or majesty that we should look to like him, and no beauty that, we, that they should desire him. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I give my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. The unrestrained cruelty of this upper room scene is such a contrast from the upper room scene a few hours earlier. For this same man, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Emptied himself and took the form of his servant and washed the disciples' feet, even Judas's feet. Amazing. And as Jesus proceeds uh, to take him from his upper room, seeing him, take him into the courtyard, and uh, it must have been a sight to behold. You see, Jesus emerging, bleeding, bruised, covered in the degrading human spittle, breathtaking. How could this kind, gentle miracle worker be treated so badly? By any standard, this was shocking. But worse was still to come. He was to be whipped, mocked, and crucified. Why? Why is this terrible miscarriage of Sanhedrin of justice now known as Good Friday? And as we process, as we go through the, um, the series, we will find out the reasons for it. What Peter said in Acts chapter 2, Many Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many works and wonders and signs that God, did through him in your midst. You yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the, the plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. And that is the message of the gospel that Jesus died for us. Today Caiaphas' palace is a tourist attraction. We can see the dungeon where Jesus was kept until his final sentence. We can see the courtyard where Peter died. And all real evidential artifacts indicating that Caiaphas and Jesus were both historical figures, and as we have just discovered, leaving more than just a tourist attraction, but a legacy of truth and treachery that impacts on our lives today. I'll ask the question, who do you see? Who do you see as, as Caiaphas saw? I want to leave these words as we close in prayer for the Christian. We now see Jesus who's made a little lower than the angels for a little while, by crying with glory and honor, because he has suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death wherever you want. Shall we pray? Father, we commend in your presence in the name of the Lord Jesus at the end of this talk on we pray that whatever is off yourself that you will use it for the blessing of of many listeners. And Father, we think of the words of that hymn that says, Man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. Guilty, violent, helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he, full redemption can it be. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to be the saviour of the world. Father, we thank you that we have the Bible, the word of God that shows us that who he really was. He wasn't an imposter, but he was indeed God's son. He came to take our place, and he was dead, he was buried, and he has been resurrected. Father, we look to the day when he will come in the, in the clouds, and every eye shall see him. He will come in power and glory, and he will rule and with power and glory over all of the earth. Father, we pray that you will bless us as we part. Remember those who are not so well. Remember those who are lonely. Remember those who are affected by and um, the lockdown and of the coronavirus. We pray that you will um, guide those in power and authority as they make decisions over the next few weeks For us, this in his name. Pray glory. Amen.